He's a very holy God. And that's our theme today. Children 11, uh, 12 years old and up may go uh, with Camille. You're going to have Sunday school today, 12 and up. If you're under 12, stay in service, please. And you may be seated. not an easy message it's not a message that you usually hear from a lot of the TV evangelists church in America and actually the whole western world needs to read Isaiah 6 verses 1 through 8 not just once but they need to read it over and over again those who profess Jesus Christ need to hide this passage in their hearts Why do I say that? Because we lost the fear of God that he is holy, holy, holy. Now before you say, that's not me. Wait until I finish preaching this text and then you may answer honestly if you really understand the holiness of God. I had to reevaluate my understanding of the holiness of God after I studied this text. And I think that when we revere God as holy, 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 our testifying of the gospel of Jesus Christ will be more believable to the lost world. Please stand with me as we read our text, Isaiah 6, verses 1 through 8. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this very astounding text of how holy you really are. God, I pray that this text will speak to our hearts and this text will show us not only how holy you are but how outside of Christ unworthy we are blessed and breathe upon this text I pray in Christ's name Amen
I remember when I was in fifth or sixth grade, 1963. I remember sitting in the classroom and I was maybe 11 years old and I remember hearing the principal get on the loudspeaker and say, the President of the United States has just been shot. And I remember this, and for those of you who, who remember with me, I remember being stunned. I remember the whole classroom being stunned, the teacher. I remember going home, my family was stunned. I remember watching TV, the city was stunned. I remember this, the, the country was stunned, the world was stunned. John F. Kennedy was shot and was killed. And I remember how stunned we all were. Today we lost that sensitivity. People are not stunned anymore when somebody gets shot. Matter of fact, people like to take the, as people are getting killed, they like to take their little phones and videotape it. We're desensitized. Anyway, John F. Kennedy, he was a good president. He was the youngest president ever elected in the United States. He took the U.S. economy out of recession through his reforms. He established the Peace Corps in 1961. He averted nuclear war through his negotiations with Soviet leader Khrushchev. Some of you may remember these things. He worked towards civil rights for African Americans. He was responsible for equal pay of the 1963. So he helped this country with this and many other things. He was the one who said, ask not what your country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country. We, we need to adapt that as a church. Ask not what your church can do for you, but ask what you can do for your church. That's good. But now Kennedy is gone, and the country is in despair and mourning, and I remember that for days, for days. We saw the procession, and we saw um, Jacqueline and John F. Kennedy Jr. and, and, and Carolyn, and, and, and just the, the mourning and the despair for days. What are we going to do now? The country was asking, what are we going to do now? Well, approximately 2,700 years ago, there was a similar situation. King Uzziah, who made some great accomplishments, like Kennedy, for Judah is now dead, and Judah is dismayed in mourning. What are they going to do now? What people then and now did not know and did not realize is God is and always will be on his throne. He is never off his throne. Amen. Presidents reign for a certain period of time, and then they're gone. Kings reign, and then they're off their throne. And this king, with, capital, with a capital K, this king is needed eternally more than the earthly kings and presidents. Earthly monarchs can't forgive your sins. And they can't commission you to preach the gospel of reconciliation. Only the king of kings can. And my proposition for this message today is only the true holy God can forgive you and commission you. <clears throat> Without going to much detail about the book of Isaiah, let me give you in a nutshell some background. You need some background, otherwise the text is not going to mean too much to you. 
If I was preaching on the whole book of Isaiah, which is, I think, 66 chapters, I, I, would, I would actually spend the whole service on introduction. But we're not doing the whole book. We're only doing a part of the text, but I need to give you some background. The book of Isaiah is a very gospel book. It is said to be the gospel of the Old Testament. If you ever read it, you'll understand that. The prophet Isaiah is the author of this prophetic book. It's a mixture of genre, poetry, apocalyptic, prophetic, historical. And in Isaiah 6, it's largely which the text we're studying now, it's largely historical with a prophetic visionary element. His Hebrew name is the Lord is Salvation. That's like Hosea, Jesus, um, Joshua. They, They all kind of had the same name. The Lord is Salvation. The New Testament quotes Isaiah over 65 times more than any other Old Testament prophet book. Isaiah's prophetic ministry was to the southern kingdom of Judah. You know, the the kingdom was split. You had the northern kingdom, Israel, and the southern kingdom, Judah. But his ministry was to the kingdom of Judah. During the reign of four kings, Uzziah, the one who just died, also called Azariah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. His contemporaries were the prophets Hosea and Micah. And for Judah... It was the year King Uzziah died. Judah experienced peace. They experienced prosperity under this rule. Even though spiritually they were ruined because of all their sins. They did well under under King Uzziah. But spiritually they were not well. And now the powerful Assyria growing and the king's death. Peace and prosperity was now just a memory to them. And one of the things we look at in the book of Isaiah, he always highlights the problem of sin, but he also offers a message of salvation. He doesn't just talk about the sin, he offers salvation. Isn't that God? God is both just, but he's also merciful. <clears throat> but in our text today, it focuses on the holiness of God that Isaiah witnessed from a vision God gave him. And from this vision of holiness, Isaiah clearly saw his own unworthiness. It was then that God, God's angel touched Isaiah's mouth with a burning coal from the altar and his sin was atoned for and then was commissioned to preach to hard-hearted Judah. And I think there's three points I want to bring out to this message. Three things I think we could learn from Isaiah's life. The first one is, because God is on the throne, you need to get off yours. Second one is because God is holy, you need to see the depth of your sin. And the third one is because God saved you, you need to respond to his commission to you. Let's look at the first point. Because God is on his throne, you need to get off yours. Excuse me one minute. Let's go to first one again. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And as I said before, Judah was the southern kingdom. They lived prosperously under the rule of King Uzziah for 52 years. That's long. He began his reign to a defeated Judah during his reign of the powerful Jerobabim, uh, the second of Jerusalem, or I'm sorry, of Israel. And he became a hero to Judah with his success. He was a great military strategist. And he had agricultural skill which prospered Judah immensely. 
And now the king is dead, and instability and dread fall upon the people of Judah. Second Chronicles chapter 26 tells us that King Uzziah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. You didn't have many kings that did what was right in the eyes. Matter of fact, all the kings of Israel, it says, did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Only nine kings out of about 20 in Judah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And King Uzziah was one of them. He was a good king most of his reign until the end, which success does to you sometimes he became proud and went into the temple to burn incense that was only allowed for the priests no one but no one lives above God's law everyone bows to the sovereign king even earthly kings and and when confronted when King Uzziah was confronted by Azariah the priest and he had 80 other priests with him who the Bible says were men of valor, they were courageous priests, and they confronted him, he became angry at them. And holding the censer in his hand, and his anger burning against the godly priests, God struck him with leprosy. Proverbs sixteen eighteen tells us, pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. And that was King Uzziah. But God's mercy is shown here. You know why? You can say, well, how's that God's mercy? He got struck with leprosy. God didn't kill him because he should have died. But for the rest of his life, he had leprosy and had to live in isolation. And his son Jotham came in and did the king's work until his father died. And then Jotham, his son, began to reign. So King Uzziah is dead. Unrest, anxiety, lack of peace. Assyria is a threat. What are they to do? Well, first of all, let us understand that Judah was steep in sin. Yeah, they, they just experienced all this prosperity, but they were steep in sin. And God knew this. Warren Wiersbe, the Bible scholar, said, Isaiah realized that though the nation had prospered materially, it was in terrible condition spiritually. The economic growth and temporary peace were a veneer that covered a nation with a wicked heart. What was going to happen to Judah? So in our text, the king is dead. The nation is mourning. Let me give you this little disclaimer here. There's some controversy that Uzziah may not have been physically dead at the time, but civilly dead. In other words, because he had leprosy, he couldn't finish out his reign. His son filled in for him. Also, this may not have been Isaiah's first call, since there are five chapters before we prophesied. Maybe, as one commentator said... Isaiah received the first five chapters after his call, but here in chapter 6, he's just authenticating what he had already written by describing how he was called. Or maybe, as some say, this is his second calling to a higher degree. Whichever it is, it does not detract from the point that Isaiah had this grand vision. But I will treat it as the king is dead and Isaiah receives this vision, and that's what I believe. So back in our text, Isaiah knows that although, although the nation prospered materially, they were in dire straits spiritually. So Isaiah goes into the temple and sees this phenomenal vision. He sees the Lord high and lifted up, which reveals God's authority, his power, and his sovereignty. He sees a throne that will never end like Uzziah's and all the earthly kings. And he sees the train of the Lord's robe filling the temple. 
By the way, Isaiah may have been in the earthly temple, but in the vision he was in the heavenly temple. Make no mistake about that. The Apostle John had a similar vision in Revelation. And the very hem or the fringe of his garment filled the temple with glory. Monarchs or kings usually wore flowing robes symbolizing glory and splendor. One commentator said, Yahweh is so great that the earthly manifestation of his presence is only the outermost fringe of his glory. You see, Isaiah only saw an outermost fringe of God's glory. If you remember, Peter, James, and John saw Christ's glory on the Mount of Transfiguration. However, whether it is Isaiah, Moses, or the apostles, no one can see the full glory of God. God told Moses in Exodus, man shall not see me and live. That's how awesome God is. And that's why Isaiah only saw the fringe of his glory. But one day we shall see him face to face when we are totally purified. Jesus said in the Beatitudes, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The Apostle John tells us that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. So back in our text, Judah and even Isaiah may be downcast because of their earthly king. He's now gone. But the eternal king is and always will be on the throne. And here's the problem. Judah needed to get off her throne. The throne of rebellion. The throne of idolatry. And all kinds of sin. And she needed to see there's only room for one on the throne. And that's the sovereign God of the universe. The king of kings and the lord of all lords. I don't know how many of you remember that song by Frank Sinatra. I did it my way. I know maybe some of the younger people will not remember that. But he, yeah, he did a song in 1969. I did it my way. And that song, if you think about it really represents every human being. We want our way, don't we? We, want, we don't want anyone to tell us what to do, not even God. We are the captains of our soul. That is, until God gets our attention. Dr. John Oswald said, as long as I think that I can solve my problems, with a little help from God, of course, then I am the sovereign and he is the servant. When I preached a few weeks ago, on Jacob wrestling with God, we saw Jacob wanted the throne. That is, to be in control until he came to the end of himself when God dislocated his hip. You and I need to recognize Christ is on the throne, and as believers, we need to submit it to him, not only as the Savior, but as the Lord. We need to get off our thrones and submit to his throne. By the way, you probably didn't notice this. And I didn't notice it either until I did a study on it. But in verse 1, Lord starts with a capital letter and ends with all lowercase. Verse 1, right? He says, in the year that King Uzziah, I saw the Lord. Capital letter, all lowercase. But in verses 3 and 5, if you read it, Lord is in all capital letters. That's not a mistake. Dr. Sproul explains it this way. Lord, in verse 1, the Hebrew is Adonai. How many of you heard of Adonai? 
Adonai, of course. And it means sovereign one. Lord, with all capital letters in verse 3 and 5, the Hebrew is Yahweh and is the sacred name of God. This is the name God revealed to himself in Moses in the burning bush. In other words, Lord Yahweh is the name of God and Lord Adonai is his title. Let me give you an example from scripture verse, uh, in Psalm 8 verse 1. It says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. O Lord, all capital letters, our Lord, the last four letters in lowercase, how majestic is your name in all the earth. The words in Hebrew then would be, O Yahweh, our Adonai, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Or we could say, O God, our sovereign, how majestic is your name in all the earth. We may say, Donald Trump is our president. Donald Trump is his name, and president is his title. That's what's going on here in this text. He's not only called by his title, sovereign God, but he's also called by his covenant name, Yahweh. He is called, Jesus is called Lord Adonai in the New Testament. He is called the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That is reserved for God only. The Father, the supreme sovereign of heaven and earth. So point one is because God is on his throne, you need to get off yours. Point two, because God is holy, you need to see the depth of your sin. Let's read verses 2 to 5 again. <clears throat> Above him stood the seraphim. Each had wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So <clears throat> Isaiah not only sees the Lord Almighty high and lifted up. <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> But he sees this strange sight of angels, each with six wings. These type of angels were called seraphim. Seraphim means burning ones, which probably means they were burning, they had burning love for their master, God. And even though they were not sinful creatures, the scriptures tells us that they covered their face and their feet and they were flying. Covering their face could mean they wouldn't look at the brightness of God's glory. Covering their feet could mean because of their humility, their loneliness. And the two wings that they flew could mean their service for God. Whatever the wings meant, we know that they were humble creatures in adoration and worship to the glory of God. And Isaiah not only sees this astounding vision with his eyes, he hears them calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with your glory. The awesome presence of God, the angels crying holy, shook the very foundations of whatever Isaiah, wherever he was, and the house was filled with smoke, which is associated with the divine presence of God. Wow. Wow. This tells me not only that God is holy, but his people 
need to be holy. And they didn't say it once. They didn't say it twice. They said it three times. Holy, holy, holy. Why three times? Well, some say because of the Trinity. Father is holy. The Son is holy. The Holy Spirit obviously is holy. Possibly if some suggest because, and this is what I think, one true God exists eternally in three persons. That's, but here's, here's what I think. That's a possibility. But here's what I really think. I think it's more because of the importance that Isaiah was trying to make of how holy God is. The scripture never says God is love, love, love. It never says God is wrath, wrath, wrath. It never says God is justice. Just, just. All of God's attributes are holy, holy, holy. Listen, I heard a a speaker one time, my wife and I, just recently, and he was trying to explain to the congregation that he thought, it was his opinion, that the most important attribute of God was his love. But I disagree with that. Because God's love is a holy love. God's wrath is a holy wrath. God's justice is a holy justice. And we could go on and on. Everything that God does is holy. All of God's attributes are holy. What does the Bible mean when it speaks of the holiness of God? To holy means to be separate. It means to be cut apart. In other words, God is separate from all creation. He's separate even from us, his, 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 his children. He's also transcendent. In other words, as Dr. Sproul says, he's above and beyond us. Whenever we speak of anything being holy, whether it be in the Old Testament, where there's the, the offerings, the basins, the altar, the ark, the anointing oil, etc., or the New Testament, where the saints are called holy ones, make no mistake about this, God has made it holy. Holiness comes from the Lord. He is the one who sanctifies us. He is the one who consecrates us. God calls his people to live holy lives. Why? Because he is holy. And he says for us to be holy. Peter told a persecuted church in his epistle, 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 14 to 16, he says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of, of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. This is what defines you as a Christian. God separated you from the world and sin. You and I are not holy in and of ourselves, but it is Christ in you that is holy. So we work out our holy lifestyle by what God has worked in us. Just like Paul said to um, the Philippian church in uh, Philippians 2 verses 12 to 13 he says therefore my beloved as you have always obeyed so now not only as in my presence but much more in my absence, absence work out your own salvation with fear and trembling 
For it's God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. You know, salvation is a holy salvation. So he's saying, work out this holy salvation, what God has worked in. I want to pause here for a bit to bring some application here. Listen, we are saved by the great glorious grace of God. Paul told the Ephesian church, what? For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourself. It's the gift of God, not of works. He made that very clear. So that no one may boast. We'll never boast before God. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. By grace we're saved. I get it. I get it. But don't ever take it for granted that now you're saved by grace, you can live any way you want. Bible does not condone that. We are to live holy lives as a result of his glorious grace. Like the song says that we sing, one of the songs, we didn't sing it today, but one of the sentences or verses says, holiness is Christ in me. And we need to revere God as holy in our speech and in our actions. Some Christians live as if God is their buddy. God is not your buddy. He's your holy father who is holy, holy, holy. We ought to treat him that way. You know, I've been to worship services. I'm a Christian now 40 years. And I've been to many, many worship services where Christians are indifferent to what's going on in service. Whether it's indifference to the congregational singing or indifference to the preaching of God's word. It's very disturbing. And you know why sometimes I ask to stand while I read the scriptures? Because a holy God is speaking to us through his holy word. Now, don't get me wrong. Pastor Brian doesn't have people stand. John Davis, when he comes, or anybody who occupies the pulpit, most don't. I just do it. It doesn't make it right or wrong. I just want to have a sense of how holy God is and we're receiving his holy word. So don't say to Pastor Brian when you see him, hey, John said you don't stand, well, you know, we don't make the congregation stand. You know. Sometimes we use the word holy irreverently. We say, holy cow, holy Toledo, holy mackerel, holy this, holy that. Dr. Sproul said, when we call things holy, when they are not holy, we commit the sin of idolatry. We give common things the respect and awe, worship and adoration that belong only to God. Or sometimes we, we use God's holy name in vain. And I think every one of us, we're honest, we've all done that. And sometimes when I do it out of a slip of my tongue, I realize that is inappropriate. He's a holy God. Who am I to use his name in vain? Let's revere God because he is holy. And let our lives live holy because he is holy. Back in our text. Isaiah heard one of the angelic beings uh, call to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Lord of hosts is a description of a mighty warrior who can conquer all our enemies. And then he said, and the whole earth is filled with his glory. The Bible teaches clearly uh, that creation itself revealed, 
reveals God, but men refuse to glorify him. Do you know that one day when the redeemed walk in the new heavens and the new earth, they will be uninterrupted of, glory, of the glorifying of God? You know, the whole earth right now is filled with his glory. Unfortunately, sin has shrouded some of it. Only the believer, the true genuine believer, can understand and we can see the glory of God in creation. As Psalm 19 says, and as, as Romans 1 says, the unbelieving world doesn't see that. We see it. But one day, when we see him face to face, there will be uninterrupted worshipping of the glory of God. And the, the whole earth, the new heavens and the new earth, will be filled with his glory. Habakkuk 2.14 says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. What a, a vision Isaiah had. I mean, what a vision. But that vision wasn't just a, a vision to make Isaiah say, Wow! That vision produced something intense in Isaiah's heart. When he saw the glory of the holy, high and lifted up Lord of hosts. He says, I'm lost, I'm undone, I'm finished. He saw that he was unfit to be into the presence of God, as Dr. Webb said. It's amazing that Isaiah has been denouncing Judah's sin, and now he's identifying himself with them. You and I need to be careful when we condemn someone's sin, just because our sin in our minds may be minor. Oh, I didn't kill someone. But you lied. What does what the Bible says? You commit, if you break the law in one point, you've broken the whole law. Again, Dr. Webb says, when we are in the presence of God, degrees of sin become irrelevant. In contrast of God's pure holiness, Isaiah saw his sin. He saw his lostness. He saw his heart that produced unclean speech. Not only himself, but Judas sin also. It's the same for us. Because God is holy, we need to see the depth of our sin. You cannot be in the presence of God and immediately not see your sinfulness. No one here can honestly tell me that when you open God's holy word and read it honestly that you are not met with deep conviction of your sin. That happens to me every time I open the word of God. Jesus was the most loving person that ever walked on the face of the earth. But he was infinitely pure and he was infinitely holy. And by his pure holy love, he irritated a lot of people. Again, Sproul says, this kind of love is so majestic, we can't stand it. Jesus' holiness is still felt today even though he is not physically with us. His holiness is felt when we read his word. His holiness is felt through believers because they carry the divine presence of Christ through his spirit. Do you ever notice people getting uncomfortable in your presence as a Christian? Oh, I fish with a lot, of, a lot of retired guys. You know, that's what we do. We fish. And a lot of the time I have this one particular fisherman that I fish with. And he's always apologizing to me every time he curses. John, I'm sorry. John, I'm sorry. John, I'm sorry. 
It's because the Holy Spirit dwells in us that people get uncomfortable. People get convicted of their sinful lifestyle when they're in the presence of Christians. When we as Christians are not living right, we ourselves get convicted in the presence of another Christian. Does that ever happen to you? Of course. Point one, because God is on his throne, you need to get off yours. Point two, because God is holy, you need to see the depth of your sin. And the final point, because God saved you, you need to respond to his commission to you. Let's read verses six through eight. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with him. Excuse me one minute. that he had taken with the thongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. You see, Isaiah saw this great vision of God. And he saw his holiness. He saw his glory. And he was deeply convicted of sin. And he began to confess his sin. That's good. That is very good. It's always good to agree with God when you sin, that you sinned. That's what confession means, to agree with God. Isaiah did that and was willing to give it up. That's what genuine repentance is. You confess your sin and you're willing to turn away from it. The angel took the burning coal from the altar with the tongs and touched Isaiah's mouth and said your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for why did Isaiah say his lips are unclean and why did the angel touch his mouth with the coal and I think it's because what Jesus said out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks I think this is one of the greatest areas of where we sin as Christians is with our mouth and we will soon see that Isaiah will now be commissioned by God to be his mouthpiece. By the way, Isaiah did nothing to merit forgiveness. This is purely the grace of God that forgave Isaiah's sin. See, the whole sacrificial system, we believe that the, the coal came from the altar of incense that he took. And the whole sacrificial system in the Old Testament was only temporary. It pointed to the final sacrifice of the eternal, the atoning work on the cross by the Holy Son of God. Isaiah's forgiveness and every Old Testament and New Testament saints rest in the finished work of the cross. Make no mistake about that. Nothing we can do to, return, to uh, merit forgiveness. And so Isaiah is forgiven, he's cleansed, and verse 8 tells us, the Lord said, whom shall I send, and will whom go for us? Not that the Lord didn't know, of course he knew. He was trying to get a response out of Isaiah. And Isaiah said, after that great vision, after his repentance, after his confession, he said, here am I, Lord, send me. Just a little while ago, Isaiah said he was a lost and man of unclean lips. What happened? Well, he was made fit for service. God atoned for his sin and made him fit for service. Dr. Oswald said, The process of becoming a servant of God begins in our recognition of the hopelessness of our situation. Isaiah 
saw who God was, he repented of his sin, and then God commissioned him. I don't know if you notice, between Pastor Brian and I, we've been speaking a lot on witnessing, testifying, and evangelism. And our text today ends with God commissioning Isaiah to proclaim the message of judgment. The next time I speak, we're going to talk about Isaiah's message. And it's not what you think. But there's always a good ending. Always a good ending. But here's the last point. point. It's after Christ saves you that you need to be like Isaiah and say, Here am I, Lord. Send me. Christ's purifying work of grace in your heart made you fit for service. Now Isaiah understands this, and so does Paul the Apostle. In 2 Corinthians, the second chapter, 16 to 17 uh, verse, Paul says this, For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for all these things? For we are not, like so many, like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. When you share the gospel to someone, it will be death. Why? Because they reject the only thing left, which is salvation by grace alone, and they, and, and they stay in their condemnation. But to those who receive Christ in his gospel, immediately they are transferred from death to life. But who are we? Are we sufficient to preach a gospel of reconciliation? No, we're not sufficient. But God makes us sufficient. God makes us holy. God purifies us. God saves us. And now he calls us to go out and tell the lost world of Jesus Christ. Let me conclude here with a summary of Isaiah's life and yours. After a national tragedy, Isaiah goes into the temple to seek consolation, only to see God on his throne, and Isaiah is immediately dethroned. You see, don't wait for a tragedy to seek God, only to understand that he is on the throne while you start coming off of yours. Take inventory of your life to see where you are high and lifted up and begin to dethrone yourself. I think this is a daily discipline. I know it is for me. The second thing is, after Isaiah saw the sovereign law and high and lifted up, and the seraphim called to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of your glory, he clearly saw his own unworthiness and sin, and it deeply convicted him to repent and change. We need to understand God's holiness. When we understand God's holiness, that will help us to see the depth of our sin. Not only to see the depth of our sin, but how amazing His grace is. When you see how sinful you really are, then you can sing with John Newton, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. It's a good thing to be overcome by the holiness of God. It will lead you, by God's grace, to a truly repentant heart.
Open up the Word of God. Study the attributes of God. Study that He's loving, He's merciful, but He's also just and a God of wrath. Study all His attributes. And you, get, start get, you start getting the picture of how holy and pure He is. And number three, after Isaiah confessed and repented, the Lord forgave him and commissioned him to be his mouthpiece. When we encounter a holy God, when we see our own unworthiness, repent of our sin, we trust in God's provision, that is his son, his son's death and resurrection, then we can hear clearly the call of God to commission us and spread his gospel to a lost and dying world. And then many can say with the angels, as we're told in Revelation chapter 4, verses 8, the second half of verse 8, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a holy God, that you are righteous, that you're pure, and you're separate from your created world. But yet, God, even in our unholiness, even in our sin, while we were yet sinners, the Bible says, Christ died for us. He died for us, and now we are holy because you sanctified us. God, how can we express thanksgiving when we were so unholy and now you made us holy, that Christ in us is holy? Help us to live out our holiness. Help us to honor you, God, when we come to church service as you are a holy God. Help us to honor you as holy when we speak to one another. Help us to honor you as holy when we are out in the world. Help us to honor you as holy when we share the gospel of Christ to a lost and dying world. We thank you, God, that you are holy. And you said to us, be holy because I am holy. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.